Let us pray. Holy and merciful, loving God, we have come to hear you speak, and we have come to bask in your presence. Break down in us all that resists your love and plant in us a willingness to turn, for we would live, we would be your disciples. By your spirit, come to us now in ancient texts, in everyday visions and in the needs of our neighbor. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the light of the world, the word made flesh. Amen. So, if we could get the, there we go, Jesus Uncensored. Today we're starting a sermon series that'll take us through October. I was going to put like a little black bar over his mouth, but I, my skills with, with, uh, with Microsoft Paint, actually, <laughs> aren't that, uh, that good. But anyway, so we're calling this sermon series Jesus Uncensored, the topsy-turvy teachings of Jesus according to Luke. And we're calling it this because we're inclined to censor Jesus in the sense that we concentrate mostly on the nice things he says and the things that we like. Like Jesus' love, his mercy, his inclusion, his passion for justice. And these are all good things, of course. They're life-giving things. They're key and crucial things. But they're not the whole picture of Jesus. Jesus can be confusing. He can be challenging. And he can be disruptive. So we'll be following this thread through Luke's story of Jesus where he's just tossing off these teachings like tiny little sticks of dynamite left and right, stepping back, waiting to see what the damage is. To see which one will, ones will wake us from our spiritual slumber or not. And so speaking of divine dynamite, there's no better place to start in this series than in today's passage Great crowds, it says. Great crowds are following after Jesus. Jesus is in rock star mode and at the height of his popularity, so the crowd is all worked up. And Jesus, you know, he prances up to the podium, and this is what comes out of his mouth. Whoever comes to me, he says, whoever comes to me and does not hate father, and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. And if you thought that that first one was too tame, maybe not enough, edgy enough for you, he takes it up a notch. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And if that sounded too loosey-goosey for you, he caps it all off with, so therefore, you, none of, not, therefore none of you can be my disciple if you do not give up your possessions. You know, I imagine, you know, as Jesus is up there, one of his handlers sort of whispering to him to maybe take it down a little bit. 
at least wait until we after, get, after we get everyone's automatic deposit withdrawal information before you start offending people. When we talk about Jesus teaching somehow, though, I don't think this is what most of us have in mind. When we think of Jesus teaching, we usually think about love, we think about forgiveness. As I said, these are all good, crucial, core things. But no, you let Jesus, you hand Jesus the mic, and the first thing out of his mouth is hate your own family, hate your life, take up your cross, and give away everything you've got. Otherwise, find another teacher. You know, that's one way to thin a crowd. Here, Jesus wouldn't be what we call seeker-sensitive. No doubt it was as strange and offensive sounding to his first disciples as it is to us. I mean, really, Jesus, hate is such a strong word, especially when it comes to family, although some of us, you know, it's pretty easy. You said to love your families, but we're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to hate our nearest, or love your enemies, but we're supposed to hate our nearest and dearest, and take up the cross. You want us to get ourselves killed? And seriously, all our possessions? Um, maybe not this time. Well, I don't want to minimize the harshness of these words. To understand them, we need to understand when he says these things in the story and why he says them. This passage comes right in the middle of his journey to Jerusalem, which if you read ahead, you'll know that Jerusalem is the end of the road, a road that lies under the shadow of the cross and his own death. With these teachings, Jesus says, this is where I'm going. This is what I've been sent to do. This is who I was created to be, and here's what it's going to cost to be that way. I'm going to have to put God and God's way for the world ahead of my own love and loyalty for my family, which, if you read the Gospels, Jesus does that. I'm going to have to put it in front of my personal comfort, all my life goals, and my own ego. I'm going to have to put God above every and any possession. I'm going to have to do what God requires of me, Jesus says, but I've got to be willing to give up everything. And if you want to follow me, he says, you've got to be willing to do the same. Because that's what happens when you do. So these teachings are less uh, to-do for disciples than they are kind of a warning, a big disclaimer. You wouldn't be a, we wouldn't build a tower, Jesus says, before you sat down to make sure you had enough cash to actually finish the thing, would you? Or he says, if you were a general, you wouldn't head off into battle without first figuring out if you had enough troops to win. Jesus is just being transparent. He's letting us count the cost. This is the toll if you want to merge on to his highway. If not now, someday. 
If you want to follow him, you need to prepare to cash out on family, comfort, ego, everything precious in your life needs to be up for grabs. No fine print here. Just the cost of discipleship. Right up front, this is what Jesus says, what it takes. This is what Jesus says. These, this is the cost of discipleship. And that explains why he says it. But that doesn't make it any easier, does it? The truth is that we tend to think of faith, of spiritual devotion, in the same terms that we've come to see everything else. We see it as consumers. We see it as an add-on, an additional benefit to our already settled lives. Chicken soup for the soul that hits the spot when we need a little recharge. But here Jesus is portrayed kind of like one of the kids that smoked on school property when I was in junior high. I don't know if you had the same thing. There was the smoking doors. Jesus is from this little redneck town, you know. And we're not sure who his real father is. This guy won't settle down anywhere. And look at the losers he eats and drinks with. If you hang out with him, pretty soon you'll be one of them. It's going to disrupt the rest of your life. And soon enough, you'll start making decisions with him in mind instead of your parents. Your grades and everything society says important will begin to take a nosedive. If you fall in with him, you might be sacrificing career and fortune and who knows what your future might look like or where you might end up. Because following Jesus, according to Jesus, I would never tell you this, but according to Jesus, the spiritual life isn't about affirmation of the way things are or the preservation of the world as the way in the way we like it. It's about the transfiguration of our souls. It's about the transformation of our lives. It's about the renewal of all things, from the bottom up and the inside out. Letting Jesus loiter for too long is bound to ruin your life because nobody's the same after falling in with Jesus and his crowd. Nobody's ever the same. Will Willimon, one of my favorite preachers, was formerly dean of the chapel at Duke University, one of the world's most prestigious universities. And one day he got a call from a very angry parent, one virtually foaming at the mouth. This is his description, not mine. I hold you personally responsible for this, the man shouted through the phone. Me? Will replied. This man's daughter had graduated that year and was primed for medical school at Duke, which is also one of the world's top medical schools. Already accepted, she got the scholarships, a wildly successful future was hers. All this, her dad said, 
And she'd done a complete 180. Instead of medical school, he said, she was throwing it all away to go overseas to work for a Presbyterian mission in Haiti, building houses and serving some of the world's poorest people. It's absurd, her dad shouted. A Bachelor of Science degree from Duke, and she's going to dig ditches in Haiti. I mean, I love Will Willimon, I really do. Well, he replied, I doubt that she's received much training in the engineering department here for that kind of work. But she's probably a fast learner, and she'll probably get the hang of digging ditches in a few months, if that's what you're worried about. Look, her dad replied. She said you, your church, and your advice were what inspired her to do it. So I hold you personally responsible. This is her future we're talking about. She had everything, every opportunity, and now she's throwing it away. Willimon thought for a second, and now hold on, he said. Okay, hold on a sec. Before we go any further, I want you to clarify a few things for me. Your daughter, he asked. Did you have your daughter baptized? What? He said. Yes, of course. And did you regularly take her to church growing up? Of course. We're responsible parents. That's what responsible parents do. After a few more questions, Willimon found out that they made sure she was in Sunday school every week. He and his wife regularly prayed with her, read with her, and their other children Bible stories. They sent her to youth group, and when she got to Duke, they made sure she still went to chapel every week, even if she didn't feel like it, even if she maybe had a little too much to drink the night before, or could better spend the day studying instead. They made sure that she was there. And Willimon thought for a moment. Look, he said, I think you're blaming the wrong guy. It sounds to me like this might actually be your fault. Because you're the one who introduced her to Jesus, not me. You're the one who introduced her to Jesus, not me. And the woman's father was speechless. Well, he finally squeaked out, we didn't raise her to be some kind of a Jesus freak. All we wanted her to be was a Presbyterian. <laughs> no offense to any Presbyterians out there. Clearly these people didn't know what they were getting their daughter into. They never sat down to count the cost. But this is the kind of thing that's bound to happen when you hitch your life to Jesus, when you let him drag you along on his way. Not only will he alienate your friends and family, he'll take you to places you never thought you'd go. He'll have you loving people everybody else wrote off as unlovable, carrying the cross for the least, the last, and the lost, and resisting systems of exploitation. 
pretty soon he'll have you sacrificing the things you never thought you could do without. He'll have you giving away opportunities for advancement, emptying your bank account, and wild acts of generosity. If you let him, he'll empty your whole life of seeking, striving, achievement, and fearful anxiety. And he'll fill it to the brim with a grace that will spill out in unconditional love in places and with people you never thought, never would have expected. The stuff of true joy. That's where Jesus will take you. And today, Jesus tells us that if we want to go where he goes, it means we should be ready to have our lives complicated and to be turned upside down, to be prepared to toss out all our best laid plans and primed to pawn our carefully considered dreams of what the good life looks like. Because he's not here just to make nice people nicer or to make life just a little more pleasant or bearable. His business is death and resurrection. And his destination is transformation, it's salvation, it's new creation. And on the way, he's dragging us through the cross. But on the other side is paradise, which in the presence of Jesus already becomes close enough to taste and touch and smell that you might as well already be there. It's a topsy-turvy teaching I know it's costly. It'll take everything we've got. But in return, we're promised a life more meaningful, more beautiful than anything we ever could have imagined. If we throw our lot in with him, Jesus promises life abundant, life in the full, nothing less than everlasting life. Here and now and forever. It's costly. I know. But you know, it doesn't sound like such a bad deal. At least in the light of eternity. Anyway. Amen.